Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's up, y'all? Welcome back into another episode of Believe in the ATP Tour. I'm your host, Jacob Sersosimo, and today you're listening on the Believe Network. Now, you're not going to believe what I'm about to tell you in this podcast about what happened in Cincinnati over the last week. We are so close to the U.S. Open. Cincinnati is the last big tournament right before players arrive in New York. Obviously, there's Winston-Salem, which we'll talk about that in this episode toward the end, but Cincinnati is the last hurrah for a lot of these players before they jump over to New York and start preparing for the U.S. Open. And honestly, there were so many curveballs at this tournament this year. It was not what I expected. It was kind of all over the place, and it was so good. I'm telling you, you're not going to believe. If you don't know anything about what happened this week, and this is your only source of tennis you're getting for the entire world or the entire tennis world in the last week, you're kind of in for a treat here. Let's start at the top. Daniil Medvedev does what Daniil Medvedev does. He cruises for, through the first few rounds, and in the third round, he beats Denis Shapovalov. Now, let me get to Denis Shapovalov, because he has struggled in recent months, I want to say. I don't want to say years, but months, where he just takes first-round exits, um, you know, like it's candy. He's just out of there so fast. And I kind of counted him out of this whole hardcourt swing in America and really the U.S. Open. But in Cincinnati, he does start to find his groove again. He beats Grigor Dimitrov, who's the 16 seed, and gets into the second round. He beats him in straight sets. So he's unseeded in this tournament. That's a big That's a big step for him, I think. And then he goes on to beat Tommy Paul, and Tommy Paul's playing really good tennis right now. So for him to get in there and then lose 7-5, 7-5 to Daniil Medvedev in round three, very impressive stuff from Chapo, and see what that does moving forward for the young Canadian, especially moving in to the U.S. Open soon. Uh, Taylor Fritz does what Taylor Fritz does. Uh, he wins in the first round. In the second round, he beats uh, Nick Kyrgios, then goes on to beat Andre Rublev. That puts him up with a match against Daniil Medvedev in the quarterfinals where he loses to Medvedev. But Taylor Fritz, once again, two big wins in this tournament. Kyrgios and Rublev, don't sleep on those guys. Kyrgios should be ranked at every tournament he's at, but because of Wimbledon and not, the, and not getting points, he's not being ranked and not playing as much tennis, but he's... Got to be the best unranked player in the world right now. And then Andre Rublev's number six seed in this tournament. Obviously, everybody knows how good he is. And Fritz goes past him. So very good tennis to see from the top American right now moving in to uh, the home Grand Slam at the end of the year. Stefano Tsitsipas does what Tsitsipas does. He cruises into the semis and actually makes it all the way to the finals. That's no noteworthy really big wins there other than uh, John Isner because John Isner gets past Hubie Hercotch and then Sebastian Corda. John Isner keeps coming kind of out of nowhere in these tournaments. Uh, you know, he has tournaments where he just doesn't really do much, and then he just plays really good tennis at odd times. So really cool for John Isner to, you know, get going here, especially in America on his home soil. And the Americans play really well in this tournament. One of the big surprises in this tournament is Francis Tiafo beating Matteo Berrettini. Francis Tiafo beating Berrettini. Berrettini, obviously, everybody knows what Berrettini can do. He's a 12 seed in this tournament, but he's coming off in an injury, so he's kind of working his way back into things. And Francis Tiafo goes through to beat him and then obviously loses to Sebastian Corda. Not obviously, because I haven't told you that yet, but he loses to Sebastian Corda 
in the second round. And this is like an all-American side. Sebi Korda, you got Tiafo, John Isner. Running into Stefano Tsitsipas is John Isner, though, in the quarterfinals. Now let's keep moving down. This is kind of where the whole thing happens. Uh, this is where the dramatics happen. This is kind of where I'm going to really get going in this podcast. And that is the American Ben Shelton. Ben Shelton is playing great tennis. Obviously, I don't know why I keep saying obviously. Not obviously. Obviously for me, because this is all I look at on Twitter all day. Ben Shelton has played great tennis throughout the years. He's a 19-year-old. He's from Florida. He went to the University of Florida. He's a Florida Gator. He won the men's singles championship and the team championship as a Gator and he's testing the waters right now, as Gators do. He's testing the waters right now in professional tennis. And he just kind of went through the challengers and started playing really good in the challengers. And now he's getting into a bigger tournament that is Cincinnati, which is a Masters 1000, which is a pretty big deal. He goes on in the first round to beat Lorenzo Sinego. And that's a big win for him because Sinego, a great player. So that is somebody that, you know, is a big confidence booster, especially for Ben Shelton moving through the first round. And then in the second round, he goes on to beat Casper Ruud, the five seed. Shelton is a wild card in this tournament. He goes on to beat Casper Ruud, who is a top five player, top 10 player right now in the entire world. The ironic part about this is Ben Shelton's dad played professional tennis and so did Casper Ruud's. And so Ben Shelton tweeted something along the lines of like, you know, our dads used to go at each other on this tour. It's kind of cool that we get to do it next. Now, the interesting thing about Ben Shelton is it sounds like he hasn't decided whether he's going to turn pro or return to college tennis, which means he's not taking money from Cincinnati because he can, I don't think, because of his eligibility to become a, to still not be an amateur or a pro and still return to college tennis. And so there's a lot of questions right now. I think there's a lot of people that want him to go pro, but he has so many he has so much upside no matter what he does. And so this is going to be a conversation around tennis. He says he wants to make it by the US Open. I would assume this week that's really the only time you can make it because if he doesn't make it, they're going to want to get this kid a wild card into the US Open. Uh if if he doesn't if he chooses to go pro with tennis and not go back to college and play. But, you know, obviously I think that the Florida Gators would love to have him because of how good he is and what he means to their program. His dad's a coach, all that stuff. But this is a tough decision for him. It's kind of like guys you see in the NFL a lot. You don't see this a whole lot. I don't. I don't think in tennis. This guy testing the waters, being so good on the NCAA side, and then being you know having kind of a breakthrough on the pro side and still not made his decision. Usually it's all or nothing. So for him to be kind of stuck in this middle ground is really interesting, and I can't wait to see this play out over the next week. We will have an update next week. He goes on to beat Casper Rudy, loses to Cam Norrie. You'd expect something like that. Cam Norrie has a great tournament. He beats Holger Rune. He beats Andy Murray. He beats Ben Shelton. He beats Carlos Alcaraz, and then he loses to Chorich. So Cam Norrie playing great tennis right now, playing great tennis from Wimbledon on. He had a great Wimbledon, made it to the semis there. Then he goes on to beat a lot of big names in this tournament. Let's keep moving down this. Carlos Alcaraz, great tournament before he runs into Cam Nori, which I just talked about in the quarters. This is the side of the bracket. We're getting down to the bottom now, and it's Felix Ojeali Asim has a good tournament, beats FAA, or he beats Damon Manure, beats Yannick Sinner. Yannick Sinner 
not making it as far as I probably would have liked to see him go, but loses to the the higher seed. So not really an upset there. And then I'm going to get that we're at the bottom of the bracket now. And there's really only one person to talk about when we're talking about Cincinnati this year. And that's Borna Chorich. Borna Chorich was one of the best players on tour at one point a few years ago. He went in and had a shoulder injury in about May of 2021. He had to have shoulder surgery and he was out for about 13 months. And I didn't know if we'd ever see him get back to, you know, the ways that you know, he was so used to being at, he was so, he was a, you know, a top 20 player. He was playing really good tennis. He, everyone thought he was just going to keep going up and up and up. And then it's a right shoulder injury he has, which is like the worst thing to have because he's a righty, right? So everyone's like, oh, maybe he's done. This is not good. And I thought the same thing. He hadn't been on tour for so long and it just kept, it just kept bothering him. It seemed like, and I kind of forgot about him a little bit and I was like, "Oh, good to see him back. Hopefully, you know, hopefully he plays good tennis and keeps moving forward." That's legit what I thought. I didn't I thought maybe he'd be a top 25 player again and kind of move in move into it a little bit uh and then out of nowhere just be like, "Oh, he's number 15 in the world. I haven't heard from this guy forever." Boy, was I wrong. I was so wrong. Borna Chorich has the tournament of his life. Back in May, back in May, his ranking was 278th in the world. He was playing challenger tournaments. At the beginning of the week, he was 152 in the world, and he got in with a protective ranking. And this is who he beats to win this tournament. He beats Lorenzo Musetti, the th- number 33 or the 33rd ranked player in the world. Right? He beats Lorenzo Musetti. In the first round, then he beats Rafael Nadal in a three-set grind of a match. I mean, this match was an absolute grind. It's two hours, 52 minutes, gets him into a quarterfinal for the first time since 2016, and then he goes on to beat Batista. He beats Roberto Batista Agut, which is also, like, he, he kept running into massive names in this tournament. So at one point you're like, maybe, you know, is his conditioning there? Can he do this? Yes. Yes, he can. You just wait till I talk about who he continues to beat. He beats Batista Gut, Then he beats Felix Ogier Aliassime in straight sets. Then he beats Cam Nori in straight sets. Then he beats Stefano Sitsipas in straight sets to win this tournament. Those names, Musetti Nadal, Batista Gut, Ogier Aliassime, Nori, and Stefano Sitsipas to win this tournament. Now, when you look at what the the ATP put out, um, the lowest ranked ATP Masters 1000 championships um, in 288 events since 1990, Borna Chorich at 152 is the lowest ranked winner to ever win a Masters 1000 tournament. That is from the ATP media info on Twitter. They have a bunch of good stuff, but that is an incredible, incredible week and feet by Borna Chorich. I'm telling you, I thought this guy, I, I hadn't heard from him in so long. I had no idea what was going on with this guy anymore. I had no idea. 13 months after having right sol- shoulder surgery, which is his predominant hand and wh- the way he plays tennis, he comes back and wins Cincinnati. Now, I know I'm kind of freaking out here, but this is a massive deal. Cincinnati is such a predominant tournament. Cincy Tennis, hashtag Cincy Tennis, gets so many players to come there. It has such a good rep, I believe. And 
they get names to show up there. They get Rafael Nadal. They get, you know, Daniil Medvedev. They get all these players. And if, honestly, if Djokovic was allowed in the U.S. and all this stuff, and if, you know, if, if it was more of a clean slate for him to get to the U.S. Open, which that's still up in the air, Djokovic would have been at this tournament. Alexander Zverev, if he was healthy, would have been at this tournament. All these guys would have been at this tournament. This is the tournament. And for Borna Torch to come in there and do that is remarkable. He will be in the top 30 and starting Monday, which is the day I'm recording this podcast. So what a week for Borna Chorich. And honestly, what a turn of events. And I'm excited to watch him at the U.S. Open. Okay, so that's pretty much what happened in Cincinnati. Great tournament. A lot of good players. Some names come on the scene. For breakout players, it was really big because of Borna Chorich and because of Ben Shelton. So look forward to those guys at the U.S. Open. We're going to see what Ben Shelton does. It's still kind of up in the air on exactly what he's going to do. So I'm looking forward to his decision. And even if he stays to go to college, he's going to be pro at some point. He's legit. He's a dude. And American tennis should be really, really happy to have that guy. Let's move on to Winston-Salem. Honestly, a lot of cool names in this tournament. Uh, I'm, I'm surprised by sometimes these tournaments, especially right before the U.S. Open, there's not a lot of players that go down to this tournament. But Grigor Dimitrov's in this tournament. Dominic Team plays J.J. Wolf in the first round to play Dimitrov. Then you have Ile Vashka, who's a good player. Uh, and then you keep going down this tournament, and you get guys like Richard Gasquet, Lorenzo Musetti, uh, John Millman's in this tournament. So not massive names, but, but good names. Kyle Edmund got a first-round win, which is very impressive. And then Botik van den Zanskult is the number two seed in this tournament. He's down in ranking at the bottom. So not a lot of huge names, but a lot of good names uh, in this tournament right before the U.S. Open. Everybody's really going to New York right now to prepare for the U.S. Open. We are still unsure if Novak Djokovic is going to play in the U.S. Open. Uh, that should come out in the next day or so, I've seen from reports. And it looks like Alexander Sverev is not playing in the U.S. Open, he's still coming back from injury, and so that kind of opens up a bunch of spots. We will go through a full preview next Sunday. I will drop an episode, and I will get you all up to speed on everything you need to know prior to the U.S. Open. We'll get you on Twitter. Uh, I'll have a little—I'm sure I'll have a little short thing that I'll do for uh, Believe and everything that they're doing on the social media front. But the U.S. Open is so close. This is the most exciting time of the year, folks. The U.S. Open, in my in my eyes, is the greatest Grand Slam there is. It ends the year for Grand Slams. Everything leads up to this Grand Slam. It's in New York City. It's the largest venue for tennis in Arthur Ashe Stadium. And it's kind of just the mecca. Labor Day weekend, everything. So I'm real excited for this tournament. And I really, really, really hope you are as well. Thanks for listening this week. Like I said, we got a full preview coming in just about six days. So look, be on the lookout for that. There's going to be a lot of good things on the way. Born a Chorch, one hell of a week. Ben Shelton, one hell of a performance. And next week is going to be one hell of a two weeks in New York City at the U.S. Open. See ya! Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.